A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to episode 173 of What Most People Think and I hope that you uh, I hope you don't mind me leaving this uh, week's episode a little bit later because I wanted to catch the budget and oh boy, oh boy am I glad I did that. Wow, so much fun stuff to talk about. I don't, I don't know when, uh, can we start the managed decline now? Just, just manage the shit out of this decline. That's what Jeremy Hunt and Rishi have said. Let's just, let's just be the guys that just steer this one. Uh, into the fucking uh, iceberg, but uh, but look, we're, we're going to be catching up on all the budget day stuff from Thursday. How did you spend your budget day? Me, I had some of the lads round. You know, we had beer, nachos, bit of crying, bit of crying. <laughs> oh dear, we will be getting into that. This is what most people think. Uh, it is a podcast from a comedian who's you know maybe well not maybe a bit more to the right of centre than most comedians, but also happy to boot the Tories where necessary. Um, coming up, so we, we will be looking back on all the big details uh, from the budget. Later in the show, I've got a brilliant letter from a patron about his experience of non-league football. I thought it was just worth bringing that up. Very funny. Uh, and it's International Men's Week, so I've got a guest on uh, for half of the show, uh, the man whisperer called Kenny Marmorella de Cruz. He's been on the show several times before. And as it was International Men's Week, and as you know, the idea of finance is sort of in our minds, you know, so it's an anxiety. I thought we'd talk to him about that. But of course, Kenny tries to make wise and philosophical points, but I drag him into stupidity and <laughs> try and get him discussing how you would uh, how you would give your mates money if you won Euro Millions without denting their male pride. That I mean, he came here to discuss International Men's Day stuff and I get him into that debate. I'll be interested to know what you think too. Uh, just picking up from last week's episode, thank you so much, by the way, for all the positive feedback about the solo episode I often moan that they don't get the love they deserve. Well, this one, I think it's performed in uh, in line with some of the guest episodes and uh, I do enjoy doing them. And, and going forward, I think for some of the guest episodes, I'll make sure, apart from the co-hosts, you know, like the Leo Curses and the Simon Evans that come back, I'll make sure that, you know, the, the show always has its, its main components. And uh, certainly if I've got a rant to have, I will include it. Um, but we spoke about the show Neighbours being repeated at tea time. And David, the main, our super patron, he informs me that it's because Michael Grade, who was then, I guess, was it the BBC? CEO of the BBC? Or did they have a CEO? Just Grand Poobah? That's probably, <laughs> probably more like what the BBC would have. The anointed Grand Poobah of the British Broadcasting Corporation um, put on some shows that the plebs would like and we will make documentaries. Um, Michael Grade's daughter was responsible for re- uh, neighbours being repeated at tea time. She told her old man that here she and her classmates had rushed back to school from their lunch breaks and missed some of the show. Um, well, I just thought this is an interesting thing about businessmen because businessmen, you know, daddies love their little girls 
And there is this record. It's certainly something I've seen in my life of businessmen just having shit ideas because, you know, dads are taken in by their little girls. All right, I'll give you the example that I'm thinking of. I used to do work for a comedy chain called Jonglers. Or I think I think now about in, 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 in a sort of different form. And that went down financially. It was sort of like a sort of bit like Britain, really. It went down by the <laughs> under the weight of its own debt. And um, and then it came back like a phoenix from the flames. And uh, they had these clubs, you know, and they were thinking in at their board level, they were trying to decide um, what to call it. And uh, they were sort of thinking, you know, we want we want it's not just to be comedy. We want it dancing to be eating. You know about much more than just a stand-up, and then one of the um, one of the board's daughters said, "Well, why don't you just call it highlights? Highlights, like you know, it's the highlight of the week, and it, like just because he's got oh my my little girl Amelia, Amelia, you're a genius." But it was the shittest name I've ever heard for a comedy club. How can you call a comedy club highlights? It just sounded like you're going for a cut and cut and blow drive, didn't it? It sounded like a fucking hairdresser's. People just didn't know. Like, so you had all these places where there'd been an established jonglers gig for years. And like, you know, you it was running for a good two or three years. And then people go, oh, we didn't know the comedy club was still here. It never went away. But just one stupid fucking CEO entranced by his daughter came up with a crap idea. So I wonder how many other, uh, how many other times in history that powerful men have made shit ideas because they, uh, they're inspired by their daughters. Um just uh, in terms of new patrons, so I have been, I've got these Jeff Norcott and Friends gigs coming up next year, the 25th, Wednesday the 25th of uh, January and Thursday the 2nd of March at the Bethnal Green Backyard Club and in Leeds at the Wardrobe respectively. So if you search or go online, uh, you'll be able to book tickets for both of those. One of the Patreon benefit was that I was allocating uh, free tickets for these shows. So I've gone through the process of obviously board members and VIPs uh, who got guaranteed tickets if they wanted them. And then we've gone through the next tiers and allocated an, an amount respectively to each. So I've got all your names. So just hold tight and that uh, information will be coming to you. And also we're going to be doing an online gig uh, in January. I'm going to kind of pick, what is it, the worst day in January for it? Suicide Monday or whatever. I'm, I probably won't be able to market it as that, will I? I'll just do some poster. I won't even think about it. I'll whack it up on Twitter if it still exists. So yeah, if I, if I knocked up some uh, some asset, you know, one of these images that you use on social media, just call it Suicide Monday. I'll just tweet that. I think that's just a joke. People call it Suicide Monday. Anyway, I'm going to go to the gym and get back a thousand tweets later. Uh, dude, seriously, are you suggesting people kill themselves? <laughs> this is what social media is like. Yeah, I, I know what you're trying to do here, Jeff, but uh, uh, you're really disappointed. You've really let yourself down. You know when they start speaking like you're... They're your favourite teacher. I'm really, really disappointed. You're better than this. Do better. Do better. You think, eh, it's just a joke. I think if somebody topped themselves because they saw a tweet, I think it was probably going to happen anyway. Oh, there you go. I could get in trouble for that. Um, new patrons. First up, VIPs. We'll mention the rest of the patrons later in the show. Uh, David Linghorn Baker. Linghorn? Is that some old like Nordic thing for Longhorn? <laughs> David Longhorn Baker. Oh, my God. You sound like an absolute... Ch- you know, like, who's that? That uh, Paul Whitehouse character in Fast Show. And uh, what, me, the, third, the fourth Earl of Wimbledon, David Linghorn Baker, Doug Caulfield and John Winter. I appreciate you as VIPs. I don't know why Patreon bumps me out. I mean, the thing that's annoying, right, is I, I sort of hover around the 500 Patreon mark. If I got to like 600, 650, I could do extra shows, you know what I mean? Because then I could say, and I could say to my agent, look, you know, the revenue's at this point. Not only do we do the weekly show, we do more 
extra shows. So so I don't know why Patreon <laughs> keep bumping out people, but thank you so much for the people that are checking and making sure their act, uh, their accounts are activated. I think we've got a new patron here, Andrew Wand. Andrew Wand, you just wait from fucking Harry Potter, are you? I'm going route one with this. Andrew Wand from Harry Potter. Wand, what, you got a dick like a wand? Is it Andrew's wand? You wouldn't want a dick like a wand, would you? I mean, it would be long, but there'd be girth issues, wouldn't there? <laughs> girth, underrated. You see, in all these studies about penis size, everyone's always talking about length. What about the girth massive? That was unfortunate. Um, Wayne Trevor Middleton. Is your... I can't work out whether Trevor Middleton is like a um, a sort of hyphenated name there. Trevor, the Trevors. Wayne, Trevor, Mid- I mean, Wayne and Trevor, you're just throwing fucking 80s names at a board there, aren't you, Wayne? Wayne, Trevor, Craig, <laughs> let's just get in the Capri and fuck off to Woolworths. Uh, right, we're going to do a quick thank you and a fuck you before we get into the politics. Thank you. I had an epic week last week. It doesn't take much to keep me happy. But, you know, when you get into your 40s, you go out sometimes. Last week, let me talk you through my week. Tuesday, I went to see the AFC Wimbledon, my team. I went down to South London. Always love going back to the to the manor. I mean, the thing about Wimbledon, people just think, oh, Wimbledon. You have to understand that the bit around Haydens Road is shit and will always be shit. I don't care if the fucking one-bedroom flats, there are 400 ground. It's still a shithole. And... Um, we beat the mighty Leighton Orient. And I know some of you premiership fucking show ponies supporting your teams that are owned by Saudi conglomerates. You know what I mean? Like you're funded by beheadings or whatever. But we beat the mighty Leighton... I just don't even know how that would work. But we beat the mighty Leighton Orient 2-0. And you you laugh, but they're top of the league. They're a good outfit, the Orient, you know? And we beat them 2-0. And it was a proper one of those performances. We, we, were, we were masters of the dark arts of shithousery. Oh, it's great. When your team are the ones engaging in gamesmanship, we were flopping to the floor. Once we went 2-0 up, honestly, any contact, we were down. We were like, you know what I mean? We were like one of those international games between Portugal and Spain. Even if there was a light breeze, oh, let's get the trainer on. It was hilarious. And we won that game 2-0 and it was uh, it was good old-fashioned Wimbledon performance, full of, uh, full of shithousery. Then on the Friday, I went to darts. I went to, and this isn't an advert, by the way, but I went to flight club. If they want to pay me, I'm happy. But I went to Flight Club in Moorgate, and it's an incredible. It's like somebody reached into my brain and pulled out two of my favourite things. You know, what do you love? House music and darts. Well, come to Flight Club. We've got house music and darts. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, they had these booths, so they had these dartboards that were electronically managed. So it's a bit like bowling, but better. You put in your names and all that, and then they've got all these games like Demolition, Killer, or you could play, you know, straight... Uh, you know, straight dart. I don't know what straight darts is called. The one that they play at the tournaments where they have to, you know, count down from. Anyway, but uh, it shows how much I go to darts every year. Shows how much attention I pay. Uh, but it was incredible, and we were drinking and we were laughing and we were playing darts. It was literally like, you know, one of those adverts like for Carlsberg where the lads are out and back slapping and laughing. It was almost cliche good fun, except, but you know, if it was adverts being in the diversity age, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't. It wouldn't be allowed to be us as we were. They'd have to de-age us. They'd have to de-age us and put some fucking fisherman's beards <laughs> and an earring here and there, you know. Uh, but we had we had a really good time and then. So I stayed in a hotel in London that night. Got up the following day. Oh, hello. It's clubbing midday, party in the, in the daytime. A lot of you, but what? Clubs now have daytime events because Generation X, people like me, aren't willing to let it go. So I went for a trance night at the Ministry of Sound. And they're, oh, is that still open, is it? Man, that's still... Yeah, it is. Are you old farts... 
like you, right? And I, I get stick for this. What, you still doing all that shit at your age? Isn't it a bit embarrassing? Yeah, well, you old farts are into your rock music. You can still go and see fucking Guy Garvey, right? Go and see Elbow. You know, throw those curtains away. Sing that shit to the rest of you. Till you're dead. What about people like me that like music that exists in clubs? We went there and it was great. It was really good. And there was a point where we'd been there several hours because it was basically from 2 till 10 p.m. We'd been there several hours already. And then someone in the group went, it's not even half six. <laughs> it's not even half six. I was out of there. I was out of there before 10 p.m. Do you know what I mean? I'm back in time, in time for match of the day. And um, the, the crowd were really good because a lot of you know people might say, don't you feel embarrassed being that old? But actually the crowd for trance and certainly daytime trance, i.e. people with babysitters, is a lot older. I would say I was, I was one of the fucking spring chickens there. Do you know what I mean? I was a, I was a twink in that context. And the crowd looked like, you know, they were kind of, they looked like a lot of them were from Erif or Sidcup. What I'm saying is the crowd, we looked like a sort of crowd that would otherwise be an England game, you know, but instead of singing No Surrender to the IRA, we were in fact hugging strangers. Uh, so yeah, I lived a rock star lifestyle this week. The fuck you is to Boy George. Now, I know people say, what are you going to talk about? Oh, I'm a celebrity. That's fucking birds telling that. It's fucking birds telling. You're missing out, people. You're missing out, right? Because this year, they brought in Matt Hancock. Now, first up, just cards on the table. I think Matt Hancock is a wazzock, right? I think that he shouldn't be there. You know, he's a sitting MP. And uh, I hated the way during COVID that he seemed to think he had the power to run our lives. You know, oh, look, we're going to try and make Christmas happen. Who the fuck are you, Santa Claus? Um... But he he goes into the camp, and I was really interested to see how the celebs reacted to him. Uh, first up, Sean Walsh, friend of the show, hashtag vote Sean, by the way, is a, is a human being. He sees him and he laughs. Not in his face, but he just laughs. I think that's a natural reaction to seeing Matt Hancock generally, let, let alone in the fucking jungle. And <laughs> he just laughs. And it was like, yeah, that is, that, that is how most of Britain feel about what's going on here. But in the camp, there's initial apprehension, right? Because they don't want to seem Tory adjacent. They've presumed that every single member of the British public, because they think social media is an accurate reflection, thinks every single Tory is uh, evil. And there's a woman in there called Charlene, a newsreader. She thinks it's her role to sort of interview him every single day, quiz him about what's happened. And at one point, she did this thing that really annoyed me, which is she was asking him questions. And then when he gave an answer she thought was a bit sus, she sort of found the camera and did a bit of an eye roll, you know? Are you, are you trying to be a meme, love? Is that what's happening here? You're trying to get memed up or you'll do the eyes. And you think, with I'm a Celebrity, for all the stuff that actually makes it into the show, how often are these fucking thirsty pricks mugging to camera just thinking, oh, I hope that gets in the show. I could get a meme out of that. I mean, that is what modern celebrities boil down to. Are you memeable? Are you memeable? You know, and, and the one thing I would say is that politics is, is a hard job. So when, when Matt Hancock starts doing well at the task and he shows a bit of inner steel, everyone's like, what, what's going on? This is he's this skinny looking dweeb. And here he is showing no fear. They go, yeah, you know, politics demands a bit of steel. There's a reason why when these people, like when Anne Widdicombe goes on Strictly or in the jungle or everything, that they do all right because they work in a job where they know that they're broadly hated, right? And people are after their job. Not only that, I don't know how many of us could cope with opening the newspaper and it saying, you know, there would be a photo of our face and they put the worst photo of us with our head in our hands, you know, that weird thing where your mouth's just opening to say a word that begins with a th, just so you can look like an, a sort of peak prick, you know, one eye blinking. The tabloids are assholes, aren't they? And, and it says, go in the name of God now, go weirdo, or something like that. We can cope with that. So well, most politicians have got more steel than we have. 
But the celebrities seem to be think that dunking on the Tories is the same as being a good person, <laughs> like in, individually within themselves. And the worst of these is Boy George, right? Boy George, who who sort of act, acting like Matt Hancock is kind of like not just a guy that was health secretary with loads of other pressures and you know like trying to keep the the, the uh, medical boards happy during COVID, like like he's fucking Goebbels. Do you know what I mean? Like 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 Matt Hancock was just experimenting on the country for a laugh. I know I might have some anti-vaxxers in there going, "Well, that's exactly what he was doing, Jeff." But um. And he says some fairly childish things like, oh, I'm not being told what to do by a Tory. And they, oh, what are you, fucking Rick from The Young Ones? You're in the jungle with some celebrities, mate. Okay, he's camp leader. Why don't you just deal with your context now rather than trying to play to what you think Britain wants to hear from you? And what's been beautiful is that the great British public, all right, are fair in the long run. I think we're fair. And I, yeah, Hancock did get a lot of stick initially, but bit by bit, people have sort of gone, you know what, boy, George? Okay, you're, you're no saint either. Didn't you do time? You did time. 15 months for the incarceration and beating of a former lover, right? And so one of the girls in camp, um, Scarlett, she questions him about this. He looks fucking shocked. The guy that's been quizzing Matt Hancock every other day, right? She, she sort of, how dare you? I'm boy George. Do you really want to hurt me? I'm boy George. And she and he's he sort of starts playing it down. You know, well, look, the thing is, a lot of people said I chained him to a radiator. It wasn't. It was a wall. I mean, oh, oh, right, oh, God, there was me thinking the poor bastard might have, you know, had, a, had the occasional burst of warmth when your heating kicked in, but no, it's just a wall. Okay, God, I, there was me thinking it was some grim, bleak scenario, a bit like Terry Waite, but it was a wall. Oh, that's fine, George. And, you know, like, oh, and then he started doing that thing where people use rhetorical questions. Well, if I'd have beaten him, don't you think there'd have been photos? That's the kind of thing a bloke says when he's been cheating. Like, babe, why would I cheat on you? You're beautiful. Because he's actually asking himself that question. That's why it's rhetorical. Babe, what kind of idiot would incarcerate? Well, evidently you, boy George. And there was one, there was one very funny moment when he said um, when he said that when he left prison, they actually thanked him. Oh, fuck, were you? Jay from the in-betweeners? <laughs> oh, yeah, they actually thanked me. They said I was fucking nailed on legend. Actually, it's probably better that I did it. Um... So I think what's happened is is the anti-Tory vitriol has gone from people thinking that they're governing badly to that some people getting the impression that they that the British public perceive every single one of them to be fundamentally evil. And while I don't think that Matt Hancock should be there, I wonder if, <laughs> weirdly, the work that he's doing is at a time when there's a lot of anger, anger about the budget. Is he sort of unpicking... People are thinking, oh, maybe a lot of them are just prats. Okay, speaking of politics, let's get in. Before we chat to the man whisperer, let's have a quick recap on the budget. We'll talk about the budget. Can I just get something off my chest here? Even after all this time, there are still people that talk about track and trace. Well, we spent 37 billion on track and trace. We spent we've done 37 billion on, on the track and the trace. Did we? Or was it test and trace? Because track and trace, that's I think that is uh, isn't that isn't that like a DHL delivery service? Track, <laughs> track and trace. I mean, you know, we're at the cost of delivering parcels now. You might spend that much. Uh, yeah, but track and trace. There was no such thing as track and trace. We had test and trace. All right. So people, what are people are thinking that all of that money, thirty-seven billion, was spent on the process of finding out who'd got a positive test and, and finding out where they were. I don't know how it'd be possible to spend £37 billion on that. I mean, what were you have people turning up to those call centres in fucking Bentleys? There was no such thing as track and trace. It was test and trace, 
And the reason we didn't spend it all in one year, and the reason we spent a lot is because we tested a fucking shitload of people, more than most other European countries, right? That's what the money was spent on. That's what the British public were crying out for. And now you get people that still think that there was this thing called track and trace. So we head into this budget in the face of fiscal headwinds. And I sort of thought fiscal headwinds. Fiscal headwinds just sounded like some shit prog rock band that your, your old man was in in the 70s. We are fiscal headwinds. Um, and then we heard a lot of phrases were getting bandied about. Doom loop, which somebody, uh, one of my Facebook followers, by the way, get, get over to Facebook and follow me there just in case Twitter goes down. Um, Doom loop sort of sounded like a techno outfit, doesn't it? Doom loop, they just play fucking, like, you know, like stomp. <laughs> just playing dustbin lids or whatever. Fiscal drag as well. That sounds like, I don't know. Isn't that, isn't that a show with Lorraine Kelly at the moment? Welcome to Fiscal Drag. This is us trying to hop on the bandwagon of the drag queen phenomenon. So, so Hunt steps up, right? So remember that we had the mini budget and they went too far with tax cuts. They spooked the market. So then, it, you know, most of the kind of centre-left press were like, we need, we need a sensible budget. We need to placate the markets. In fact, at the end of the budget, maybe we could offer up a sacrifice like a junior treasury official to the guilt gods, just to make sure that the gods of money are fully appeased. And he gets up and he first up, he sets the context, right? So what happened was that where was a, there was a pandemic, right? All of this is undeniable. There was a pandemic. We, we paid money for people to stay at home, right? We paid it at a rate that was generous, even in comparison to the French. I think they paid 70% of wages. We paid 80, right? And then employers made up the rest. So people's got 100% of their salaries uh, to stay at home, and, you know, didn't have travel costs and stuff. So it was, uh, the government took the brunt of that. And then, you know, then there's a war. I mean, that seems relevant to me, but evidently not to some people there was a war. And uh, then, you know, there's an energy price spike, there's inflation, and uh, the government have paid a lot of money, you know, a lot of money to support households on that. And then he delivers this budget. Now, firstly, if you accept its purpose, right? Now, me, I kind of hoped with... Uh, Liz and Liz and Quasi's mini budget. It was a shame that they went too far because I agreed with some of the principles on it, i.e. that you want to, the economy to be competitive, attractive to business, promote growth, all that sort of thing. But then they started giving it the big end. You know what? Abolish that. Yeah. Well, well name me a tax. It's gone, mate. Consider <laughs> consider it gone. And so then we have this massive overcorrection to the idea that the pundit class seem to think that we need to go one hundred percent the other way. So if what you wanted was a balanced budget which struck a, a line between uh, tax rises and spending cuts, then this probably was it, right? If you look at the main things, benefits and pensions went up in line with inflation. There was a raid, uh, to use Daily Mail language, on higher earners, went down from, threshold went down from 150, 125 grand. Um, the windfall tax was the, the principle of it was extended to people that generate electricity that have somehow escaped it hitherto. So that was a good adjustment, Dividends, basically, you know, the allowance for dividends is basically now non-fucking-existent. I mean, this is what's interesting about the Tories, you know, and the perception of them are hard right. Under Labour, under new Labour, dividends were more or less unlimited. You remember that? It was like the fucking Wild West out there. You had some one of your mates that worked in IT. You know, it turns out he's not. No, he doesn't work in IT. He's a fucking company. He's just fucking minted. Just because he's the only guy that knows how to restart whatever in-house weird system he had, like adage or... Whitlock. Oh, God, Whitlock's gone down. Whitlock, hey, let's get a millionaire from IT. Ken. Ken, Whitlock's gone down. All right, just no one touch it. No one touch it. I, only I know how to do this. And uh, the price of that will be a, a tax-free dividend of 100 grand. 
So this is what they all what they all screamed for, you know. This was what they were screaming for. Benefits up in line with inflation. Remember, not too long ago, that was a big debate. They thought it wasn't going to happen, and it's happened. And there was very little in the way of uh, that being welcomed. And, and just the lack of context throughout this was incredible. You know, the effect of COVID. You had fairly mainstream pundits talking about wanting zero COVID. You know, they wanted harder, longer lockdowns. And now they want to stroll on from the scene of the crime. I mean, in terms of the actual budget itself, uh, in terms of what he said, it was fairly dry, but a couple of things I picked out was that Hunt said he paid homage to successive Tory education ministers. I think given that you're sort of on your 12th one in the last year, I, th- I would have left that out, mate. Do you know what I mean? I think the Tory education ministers have been changing faster than the price of Lurpak, right? Just just don't mention that. If there was one post that you wouldn't mention, it's that. He was not funny, Hunt, at all, because weirdly, you know, budgets are, for some reason, it's expected that there's going to be a bit of banter, right? And Hunt was a bit dry. There was 30 minutes until the first gag, which for him, I think, is still a decent gag per minute ratio. But he, he's the kind of guy that enjoys um, doing stuff like this, right? He, enjoy, he, he he gets off on this. You could tell he was, yeah, I'll, I'll be, where's my scythe? Bring forth my scythe. Change that fucking tax bracket. You know what I mean? He's the kind of guy, you know, in an office when someone's got to get fired, he's like, I'm free. I think the Telegraph did the best headline. A lot of the headlines were a bit screechy, but the Telegraph sort of said it was Osborne rhetoric, but a Gordon Brown budget. I mean, this feels like... Like, I had a couple of people on Twitter saying to me, Jeff, you voted for this. Yeah, I mean, the vote in 2019, if you think about everything that's happened since then, it feels like a fucking lifetime. But if you want to say, yeah, yeah, own this. This is on you. What you know, in the same way, what did people who voted Labour in two thousand one did they own the Iraq War? I think it's weird when people do that. What I think when people say stuff like that, it, what they're essentially saying is, I find your politics annoying, and in this moment, I wish you to feel shame and regret. But this was—I feel like this was, you know, with its kind of promise of future spending cuts and its uh, sort of attack on higher middle earners. I feels like this is the budget that Labour would have done in 2010. This is like, you've got two parties kind of fighting it out as to who can be the most new Labour. Jeremy Hunt is even bringing in, like, new Labour advisors. Was it Patricia Hewitt's advisor or someone? Fucking lead singer of D-Ream? Who are they bringing in? Are they bringing Noel Gallagher? Is he back at number 10? What's, go- what's going on? And then Rachel Reeves, right? In terms of In terms of what she can say in response to opposing these measures, it's a bit tricky because... They're kind of exactly what Labour have done, more or less. You know, we had uh, we had a few examples. I think Wes and did the line that I always look out for. We said, well, yeah, it's a good start, but it could have gone far enough, which I, I often think is the, the opposition's coded way of saying, fuck, that's a good st- that was a good budget. <laughs> or that, yeah, that's what we would have done, more or less. Um, but she, she gets up, and so instead of opposing things, she gives a sermon about how we got here. You know, forgetting that the Labour Party were probably a bit more aggressive in terms of how long we should have locked down for COVID, you know, wanted more money spent on the energy price guarantee, all the things that have cost us money and created this gap in our public finances, uh, they were generally more in favour of. Uh, but they make some fair points about growth that have been, you know, growth's been low for a while. And of course, the Tories did come to power as a coalition when there was no money left. But the truth is, no one wants to fucking hear about that, about that now. No one cares. And there was a good line in there from Rachel Reeves. She said, are you expecting us to party like it's 2010? That was funny because 2010 is associated with being the absolute start of austerity. It was a good line. She murdered it a bit. And, you know, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers to the special advisor that wrote that and was waiting to see it zing 
in the House of Commons, but it passed for very little. And there, there must be fucking... It must be a frustrating. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Rachel, you did. Yeah, that line. It was like you know, it's supposed to. That was like an emphasis line, but no, really, no. Other than that, I mean, totally. You nailed it, sister. <laughs> and so we come out of it with this. Um, I kind of thought initially, well, that is a sort of balanced budget, I guess. You know, it's pretty depressing. I mean, the the thing that the really seems to have stimulated the debate is the forward projections from the OBR about the squeeze on living standards, real terms fall, and, you know, what your household income is worth, you know, this this recession that's going to have, happen over the next couple of years. I think all of that, I can under, is people are right and justified um, to be angry about that. But in terms of how most people are going to react to this in the short to medium term, you know, I think people will be surprised. At, you know, it's people on benefits, which includes universal credit, and pensions. I mean, a 10% rise, I know that inflation is at, well, this month at 11, but it will fall back because October was the month where our energy bills went up. You know, if you are somehow managing your budget and managing to spend less than comes in while you're on benefits, if you're somehow managing to do that and you get 10% rise, you know, you, you your, your situation will either remain the same or, or improve a little bit. And I think that'll be, people will be surprised that that's come from a conservative government, but there's just no... There's no space at the moment for for that idea that the Conservatives have actually done something compassionate or looked after the poorest off because, you know, it doesn't suit the left to say that. They'll just then move to, well, how did we get here? But I think that, you know, what we're looking at here is a long, shallow recession. It just sounds like it just sounds like the equivalent of bad sex that goes on for ages. Everyone's been in that situation. Still happening. I don't really know where this is going. <laughs> you know that kind of sex where the woman has to go. You, you okay? You gonna? We, uh, we close to wrapping up here. <laughs> it uh, feels like this is done. Anyway, have I got that miles out? Is this your fucking Tory shield, Norcott? It, it's not about being a Tory shield. I just, I need to believe that things are gonna be all right. I do. I have a pathological need to, for things to be all right. And that maybe that's the Tory's biggest mistake is when you deliver. Parties have to offer a little bit of hope, right? And they stood up yesterday and went, um, yeah, uh, just it's going to be shit. This is going to, you know, strap yourselves in, strap yourselves in and then then start self-harming and then take uh, a cocktail of drugs which make you unconscious. For, let's just fucking hibernate for two years. Let's hibernate. And evidently, because, you know, from a lot of the uh, commentary, they seem to think that the that furlough and the energy price cap didn't have come at a cost because they could keep not fucking mentioning it. So let's just all go back on furlough because evidently it doesn't cost any money. Let's, yeah, let's go home uh, and let's turn the radiators on, man, because clearly this stuff is free. Uh, look, okay, uh, rant over. I need a bit of counselling now and in, uh, you know, a bit of chat with a wise man and in International Men's Week, who better to speak to than the brilliant Kenny Marmarilla de Cruz, a.k.a. the Man Whisperer. So I'm glad to say rejoining us on what most people think is uh, the man whisperer, Kenny Marmorella de Cruz. Kenny, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to be back. Weird times. They are. They are weird times. I mean, we were just talking before uh, we started recording this about, you know, the fact that this is a very sensitive time politically, economically, and, and that comes on top of, you know, lockdown and COVID, you know, in inverted commas, finishing 
Mm. But uh, I don't think it re- we a lot of us had taken into account how unfinished it would feel. Yeah, so many people are still there, if not physically, emotionally. And the weird thing about this year is we're not on lockdown. And I think people have got used to knowing the boundaries and the rules and this is how to operate. But it's like, is it safe to go out? Is it who to trust? Mm. Um, Are my finances safe? Is my family safe? Should I have the heating on? Should I go to Waitrose or Aldi's? How do I protect my wealth and not tell people how much I've got? How do I show people that I haven't got so they're more generous towards me? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gosh, yeah. I mean, look, you say what you like about lockdowns. There was a certain simplicity about life back then. And you join us in this week of the the highest inflation for 40 years. Everything does feel like it's been the highest, whatever, whether it's been weather, uh, inflation, uh, war. Uh, there's been there's a lot of it's a time of plenty, but not not necessarily in the right way. Um, you you have your men's groups. You speak to a lot of you know fellas and offer them kind of support and mentoring. What is the chat like at the moment in those groups? How much is uh, finance coming into play? For the first time, it's front and centre, where Mm. people are talking about um, how much, actually, how much they've got um, and the shame about it and how to share it or how little they've got and the shame about it and how to survive it. And Mm. it's not so much wealth or lack of wealth. What people are exploring is their relationship to what they have and how to navigate safely and sanely and so they're connected with other people rather than every man for himself but i've never known fear like this before especially around personal security family security and money what you mean people thinking it's going to kick off and we all need like a kalashnikov under the bed totally absolutely but we do do we do think in these terms and is that a sign that maybe men and women process financial anxieties differently is that we see our role is right if the shit hits the fan and the the roaming mob come into view i i've got to at least be the first one to die let alone you know sort of defend the property yeah well do you know male instincts provide and protect um sadly also main male instinct is go into the head and fix it and sometimes mm. it's unfixable and when when men go in the head and try and fix it Man can go bonkers. And that's where drink, drugs and dodgy behaviour can come in or Mm. over checking out. These days, it's not even porn. People get over their porn addiction and get into YouTubes and conspiracies and ways out Mm. and crypto and God knows what, looking for solutions. And then the the algorithms, if their fear and their minds don't get them, the algorithms will. That's interesting what you say. I mean, you're saying there that, that porn is one thing. I mean, I guess maybe you're dealing with slightly older men that that their their, their libido isn't what it was, but so they need so yeah, instead it's of not. It's so not. instead of porn they're going to uh they're going to three hour long podcasts about the deep state. Well the podcasts very often are a replacement for friends. So mm. I can choose the, the the people I want to hang out with and they can inform me. Uh the porn very often is this belongs to me or I'm horny and it needs to get out the way so I can engage in life, or I'm lost and depressed, etc. and it's a bit of comfort. And it's the younger guys as well. They kind of get over it, maybe take the edge off, but then they it's really weird. 
from porn addiction to YouTube addiction or porn addiction to podcast. Usually it's YouTube rather than podcast with the men that I speak about. But it's what do I need to do to escape the unfixable? So that's an in interesting, that case, yeah. That's an and interesting. that's where it is. Drink drugs, information, anything, over-exercising. What do I need to do to fix this? And it might be totally disconnect. How do I switch my mind off? And the way that the younger people these days switch off their very linear minds is scary. The drugs that people are taking to suddenly switch the mind off and have some manic playtime is very, very, very dangerous. So, so have you seen sort of drug use going, going up in the groups that you're talking to since lockdowns? Especially with the younger guys, well, I'll name the drugs, with the younger guys these days, it's ketamine, for example, where in the old mm-hmm. days it was just weed and stuff like that or party drugs. But they're so on and they're so in their heads that my understanding from the people I'm working with is what can switch me off instantly and what can make me silly and playful instantly and then it's back. But, man, it's dangerous. It's really seriously dangerous and out of hand. And, you know, fine to point the finger at stuff like that. Alcohol use is off the scale. It's, you know, blokes are on, helpless and needing for all that noise and helplessness to stop. So turn to something that will make it stop sex and drugs and rock and roll yeah i mean like do, do those i mean not that i'm asking for anyone in particular but but do those things have a place kenny you know if it's for people's birthdays and you know you've got something coming up on third of december is that tell me it's all right use rather than abuse and for yeah. some people it might be once a year at a reunion or some about people... six times a year mm, that's a bit that's pushing we're haggling now aren't we yeah, yeah. This, this is what they call this is what they call bargaining, isn't it? And it depends on what. Do you know, that's another big thing that's been going on since lockdown is a lot of people have actually got over their alcoholism. They haven't been seeing their friends, their usual mm. friends, maybe uni friends, maybe after work drink stuff like that, um, and they've got sober. And then they kind of like looked around thinking, well, what did I used to do hanging out with them, getting pissed all the time? Mm. And it's like mm, people are needing quality rather than same old habits. So it's weird how people have actually sobered up during lockdown because they haven't had their mates to get up to no good with and they've moved on. And so many of them, you know, there's, there was one the other day, he used to be a right pisser every few months going out mm. with his uni mates or these mates or that. He can't do it anymore. Um, he's a father. He's doing very well with his work. He just, he, it bores him. He's outgrown it. Mm. Um, some people don't move on because uni mates are the only mates they have. Some people, it's like, mm, I can't do it. I can't sell out. I can't be, I don't know, abusive or take the abuse anymore. I don't find it funny anymore. It's just, mm, oh, you mean like I the banner, the, the, the lads thing? Exactly. I mean, banter doesn't have to be uh, bullying. It mm. could be clean, hilarious, you know, straight between the eyes banter without anyone having to be the victim of it, really. Conscious banter is very And sometimes, bad. I mean, when someone's really a victim like that, is objectively fucking hilarious. I mean, if just... I... <laughs> 
I've, I've often thought this because I've been writing something recently whereby I'm thinking about these, the, trying to think about these subjects in a bit more detail. And I was trying to explain the subject of banter to my son. And so I sort of said to him, well, because he, he, he had a bit of it in the playground. And I was saying, well, the thing is, son, it's the lads, you know, they're testing you out, seeing if you can withstand the, the, the onslaught. And everything I said did not sound like fun. And so he, he then goes, I don't like banter. I was like, what? You don't like, and then I tried. <laughs> then I went. I went back on everything I'd said, and I thought, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I've m- mistakenly laid it out. But on the other side of that, you know, so I didn't necessarily explain it very well to him. But I went out with the lads on Friday, and we went to like this place. Uh, this is not an advert, by the way, called Flight Club uh, in Moorgate, and it's it's a darts place pub, and they've got like an hockey and a darts board, and honestly, it was great. You know what I mean? It was so mm-hmm. much fun, and there is that way. And yes, we'd we'd all had several beers, but um, it wasn't ridiculous. You know, no one was trying to get, you know, seriously out of their face. And there's just something you get from that situation that can be sort of refreshing. I got up the following day and I felt a bit hungover, but in a good mood because I felt like something had been kind of purged. Yeah. You know, in a way, it's worth its weight in gold because it presses the reset and it's like, ah, I exist. I've got friends. We had a laugh. That's mm. what life's about. Can I have some fun? It's not all survival and work and put on a good show. Worth its weight in gold. And for me, I don't know about you, the way that things have gone these days is the real vicious banter I save for my nearest and dearest and no one else can hear Oh, yeah, it. yeah. yeah. These are mates we've been mates like, like, like to, uh, to 25 years, you know. So so that is, and I suppose, you know, in an increasingly uh, uh, sort of hypersensitive world, that is also a release, isn't it, to have a group of people whereby mm. you can sort of brutalise them verbally. But I guess, you know, there might be one lad in the group that, you know, for, for, for the majority of it, who might have gone away and gone, I just can't, I just can't do that anymore. <laughs> I just cannot. Or- Budget it, you know, out, mm. out of the WhatsApp group a couple of times a, a year, whatever it is, if it, if it works, as long as these people are close enough that you can say, do you know what? I'm fucked or my mm. marriage is falling apart or I'm broke or I don't know how to do this or so-and-so is dying and I don't know how to manage it or hold it together myself. If it's all light and fun and games and mm. that's the limitation, then you need someone else or something yeah, no, else. Another dimension. Of... Exactly. Because otherwise, if it's all banter, 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 and real grown-up life has got nowhere to go, then who knows what might happen. And this is where so many men turn to addictions and abuse and mm. suicidal. It's dangerous. You know, it's great to be a man and to be able to, to extend to the banter and the boyishness and the stupidity and the fun, joy and laughter as an extension rather than the, the only option. The and, I mean, I think that, you know, that is where our group have gone, that, that you know, when the shit hits the fan, uh, we can have that discussion. You said something interesting there about, you know, the marriage breaking down, the finances and stuff. Uh, there is that anxiety, I suppose, if you view your role as protect and provide, you know, and mostly these days it is provide. Most of us aren't having to stand outside our, our front door with spears. Do you know what I mean? Like we, thank <laughs> thank God I'll be an absolute shit hunter-gatherer. I've always thought that. If I was a hunter-gatherer, my family are eating muesli mainly. You know what I mean? It would be all the gathering bit, you know? Um, so the, but the, once you feel, I mean, the problem with inflation, right, is it just makes you poorer without you having done anything. Yeah. So it does, it does play into quite serious male anxiety of just 
inertia or or regression, right? If the, whatever status or wealth or situation you're in, you've fallen from that slightly. That activates something. The feeling of getting poorer. And then on the other side, it's the idea that if I'm not useful in that way... I mean, I, there was an old phrase my mate's dad had where he said, when poverty comes through the door, love goes out the window. I mean, is that mm. is that is that something that men harbour more than women? I don't know. If, if a woman loses her job, does she ever think, oh, he's going to leave me now because I ain't got a job? Whereas men, uh, men are more likely to think that. Do you know, I've found more and more men are sharing their wealth, helping each other out, telling the truth about the dosh. Um, in this country, when uh, in the early 70s, I was brought up in West Wales and it was one of the poorest places in Europe then. Um, and everyone shared. Everyone shared fish, potatoes, apples, rabbits, whatever was going on. We shared. Didn't realise we were Were you living in an Anglo-Saxon village, by the way? (laughs) (laughs) Some Um, sort of barter system in North Wales there. It's incredible. (laughs) West Wales. It was Fishguard. Oh, right. West Wales. Now now I get it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that, I believe, in in my world, is going on again. People are loaning and giving money. Blokes are telling the truth and sharing. And it's like, I didn't know that a few years ago. I didn't see that. It was all hiding and competing. Um, And, you know, there's the whole thing about inflation. We're all in it together and stuff. Well, are we actually? Are we in it together? Some people are going to do very, very well out of this. Some people are thinking, right, I need to up my investments in this, this and this. I need to go crypto. I've got a quick way out. I've got all my my gold under the floorboards and stuff. I'll be fine. You know, there are a lot of people trying to do a lot of diff. People will make a lot of money out of this and we're not in it together. But is it the man with the most wealth is going to do better? Is it the man with the most love going to do better? The man with most community? The man man with the most communicative family or loving parish that the family's? But this is the problem, kid. Is you're saying all that stuff, and my man mind is going. It's the one with all of them. I want all of them. I want all of those. Yeah, (laughs) it's possible. I can do it. I'm a superhero, Kenny. Watch (laughs) me fly. But then, is it going to be the more wealth, the higher the walls, or the longer the table? And I think both are going to happen big Ooh, time. Truth bomb there. That is a big one. Higher the walls or the longer the table. Shit. Both. High walls, <laughs> long table, long table for my mates. High walls to keep out all the fucking wrong ones. There you go. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not thinking about this properly, am I? Okay, just interrupting the chat with Kenny there. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, just to remind you, the uh, Jeff Norcott and Friends gigs, 25th of January, 2nd of March, Patreon only gig uh, in January. That'll be available to everybody. So if you want, just go to Patreon, search Jeff Norcott or search what most people think and join at a tier that makes sense to you. And bear in mind, if you are a board member, so those are uh, monthly donations of £20 or above, you've already unlocked a secret special gift, which is well worth its weight in gold, which I will be coming to you in the next week for details and we'll get the process. And the plan is to get that to you uh, before Christmas. So all levels of the Patreon, there's stuff coming your way. It is well worth getting involved. And remember, it is what keeps the uh, the, the, the podcast. The, I just went Polish there. It is what keeps the podcast weekly and that free. No, now we're all Polish people going, that sounds Russian. Um, we have some more new patrons. Can I just say to the heroic Matt Wynn, who's been a, pod, uh, a patron for a while, keeps getting booted out by them, keeps coming back in. I mean, sometimes I see 
Matt Wynn has rejoined six emails in a day. I don't know why they're doing this. I'm so sorry, but thank you for your perseverance. Uh, Jack Doherty, who just sounds like an ITV1 uh, detective, doesn't he? Jack Doherty, played by... Who's the guy? Robson and Green? It'd be that guy, wouldn't it? Sort of a divorced man. All detectives have got to be divorced, haven't they? You know, drinking whiskey, grimacing after each sip of whiskey, like a real man. Uh, Andrew Martin... Andrew Martin just sounds like a county cricket medium pacer. <laughs> Andrew Martin's coming in off the uh, coming in off a short run up there. No, it's very slow, but it moved, moved. Uh, Alex C Brewer, Alex C Brewer, you just sound like a jazz guitarist. And now at the jazz cafe, please welcome Alex C Brewer. Jazz. Uh, Louise Whitaker. It's nice to have a couple of ladies here. We've got three in a row. Uh, Louise Whitaker. Louise Whitaker does sound like the Tory MP for East Ryslip. Louise Whitaker. You know, one of those Tory MPs, one of those female Tory MPs that doesn't get involved in any of the bad shit. You know, doesn't cheat on her husband. You know what I mean? Doesn't do party and just has to sit there going, oh, I fucking won this seat really hard and then just watches all the men fucking it up. Louise Whitaker. I don't know if you're a lefty, Louise, so apologies if that offends you, but um, that's part of the point of the roast. Remember, if you become a patron, you will get roasted. Your name will get roasted. Hillary Millery. Hillary Miller. Sorry. Hiller, Hillary Miller. Sound like a fucking tongue twister. Hillary Miller was a tongue twister. Hillary Millery had seven capillaries. And uh, <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, Hillary Miller. Hillary. You don't really... That's another one of those women, those names that have died out a bit, isn't it? Hillary. What you got to then wait for is for Hillary's kids to have... A granddaughter, and then they always honour the grandma, don't they? And then Hillary suddenly becomes one of those cute names. Oh my god, it's a baby, but it's got an older woman's name. And when I say old, I mean not old. You know, you know what I mean, Hillary. And then we've got Roz, who I think is a returning uh, patriot. So thank you all for your support. And just a reminder with social media stuff: if you're not following me on TikTok, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you can, you know, just I'm sure this is just Twitter being melodramatic. You know, just oh, Twitter's going down. R.I.P. Twitter. It's been fun. I mean, this is like this is what proves that Twitter is left wing where they'll probably spend two days panicking about a thing that never fucking happens. OK, let's get back to the chat with the man whisperer. I suppose there is in me like a lot, a lot of blokes that weird tension between catastrophizing and blind optimism, you know, the sort of hero fantasy whereby you sort of think, well, everything's going wrong, but that if it, you know, if push came to shove, you would find a way. Is that like a, a sort of male instinct? I would do. I would do something. One of the guys has turned to prostitution. He's found a way. One of the guys in your groups. Yeah. Wow. And um, I know women who've turned to prostitution mm. um, in order to provide for their families. Uh, I guess a lot of people in their jobs. They would call it prostitution. They hate themselves. They hate what, mm. who they turn into. They hate what they do. But they want to do it for private education or to pay the bills or whatever. So um, I don't blame people wanting the best for their families and keeping things safe. Mm. And I fear what people might turn to and turn into. I mean, yeah, it's serious. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, part of the reason I, I'm making glib comments is because this week, you know, uh, the, with the with the budget coming out, which uh, I'll have spoke, which will be out, and I'll have spoken about earlier in the show. We know that whatever the content of that was, uh, we're all going to have, um, most of us going to have uh, a bit less money. Now, some of us got wiggle room. That's the big difference, isn't it? 
Some mm-hmm. of us have, have got wiggle room. So you're right. The, the the difference isn't the same. But even like you you, you alluded to earlier that those people maybe feel what feel guilty about, about it or, or since it's really interesting. There's a, there are also conversations about how can I share it. I have dosh. Mm. How do I share it? Who do I give it to? How do I do this response to, so responsibly? How mm. do I do it? without disempowering people and this goes down to the kids um i train boys to hold groups at a posh school wellington college um and they're in their teens to hold their own groups mm. and there are two things that they said in groups that really surprised me number one is have i missed the boat am i too late have i not been quick enough and already at that age they're thinking they've missed the boat Number two is how do I do some good? How do I pass Mm. it on? How do I take care? And these kids are wealthy. And most of them haven't been really around any poverty. But there's a certain consciousness already. People Mm. need to know how, who to trust, where to channel the money. Well, this is an interesting dilemma that me and my wife often talk about is the Euro Millions fantasy, right? Everyone has the one. You win 120 million what's your first instinct? And you go, well, you know, it's, it's a lovely daydream, isn't it? Go, well, you know, I, I, I would only need 60 million, maybe 30 million, you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, I want, I want to live a good life. And then you think about obviously how you would um, help spread that between your friends. But one of the first things you come up against is male pride, isn't it? Because you sort of think, how do I improve the lives of the, you know, obviously there'd be charitable giving, but how do I improve the lives of the people directly around me without it fundamentally ruining all of those friendships? Because say, for example, you pay off all your mates' mortgages, then you go, well, the ones that had already worked hard to pay them off might feel that that was a bit unfair. Or say they yep. all need, say they all needed it, and then they feel like, what, does he think he owns my house now? You know, what? Mm-hmm. It, immediately, male Do pride. I have to be nice to him now? Y- yeah, of course you do. I paid off your power? fucking mortgage, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, would there be a way around? Would there be a way that you could? You'd have to give, make donations to your friends' kids. Essentially, that would be the only clean moral way of doing it, wouldn't it? They still have to be good to you or nice. It's like, how can this be clean and unconditional, like it never happened? Mm. But it need to be anonymous or something. Yeah, um, but then and- suddenly all your mates had an anonymous gift from fucking <laughs> Uncle Buck. <laughs> And you'd yeah. have to pretend that you had it too. <laughs> and you and you you you've got power boats and jet skis. You go, oh, that's weird. I guess he I just guess he just liked me more. There is no, I've never come to a satisfactory answer in my mind of how you you help. It's easy to give money to charity, right? It, you know, if you've got it spare, that's a very easy process. How you help people closest to you is a much more difficult question, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel what we're talking about here as well is power. Who has the power? Will you be empowering them or disempowering them? Will it set up a different contract where people have to treat each other differently somehow? Um, And do they actually want it? Because maybe they would rather earn it themselves or they feel undeserved of it or they would rather you gave them tools rather than dosh something where they could empower themselves. I think it's very different for different people. And last night it took a big chunk in the close group that we were, we were sitting in talking about mm. some are wealthy 
some are not wealthy in this closed group. Um, one's very wealthy. People wouldn't know. People don't know. And how can I be part of what's going on and part of this group? Being equal in the way that I show up, if I'm measured by my looks, my status, my wealth, um, how hot my wife is, or how, uh, how popular I am, it's what's the hierarchy here? But talking specifically about wealth, one of the bottom lines that we came to, and it's, it's exactly what you said, give it to charity, is actually, wouldn't it be a lot more intimate to go and work or to give time or to get engaged with people and know where they are and what they need? And it may or may not be money. It may be tools. It may be education for their kids. Who knows what it might be? But to get intimate with people and really get to know. One of the mm. things that um, some of the groups have asked me to do a long time ago, I did a couple of months over two years with Mother Teresa in Calcutta with dying people. Man, that changed my life because I could meet people in places um, dying. And, you know, I remember there were a lot of born again Christians showed up and they started gazing into their eyes and singing Kumbaya. And it's like, look, piss off. I'm trying to die and I'm actually having a good time. Don't vamp on me by trying to save me and look all mm. holy it's about you and not me. These people were good people who had generally never been taken care of like this before on their way out. But to be with where they are and for us, as for me as a man and for us as individuals, when we go out there to do this, to know ourselves in places of poverty and death and face our greatest fears that's worth its weight in gold. So what I'm saying is, it's not all about the money. It's about the relationship to money. It's about relationship to each other and intimacy and talking about what's going on. And it's about choices. Money can't buy love or popularity or a way out. And mm. most very wealthy people I know have a little bit lacking, they're impoverished socially very often. Um, fearful of someone asking them at the school gates what do you do and it's not cool to say nothing i'm just rich do you know what i mean There's i know I, I hear you loud and size. clear i hear you loud and clear kenny and i think i'd probably be better off just winning like two million on the main lottery <laughs> um I, you make your point two million and i just take everyone on one holiday i think everyone would get the two million it wasn't necessarily enough you know for a whole lifetime so, yeah, yeah, I'm glad that you cleared up that moral dilemma for me. That's definitely the teaching there, right? It's just, just win less. But what would be really cool would be to sit together as if you just nicked the money, as if you'd done a bank robbery and say, right, we've got this dosh. Who needs what? What should we do? Yeah, I mean, that, that is, is probably the only work. Look, yeah, to say this isn't mine, I really don't think this. We all know this is a ridiculous a ridiculous thing that's come into my lap here and, and I just want to see how many people that this can benefit for. Um, but, you know, but God, then the, the moral thing is, I didn't realise this would be such a moral quagmire because then what if some of them starts putting loads of it up his nose, right? And then one bloke, you know, like you always, gamblers would always gamble no matter what the, the, what, what their kind of, um, what their kitty is. So then they actually go all in on something and end up needing more money, I think you've made your point in a way. One of the questions, the things that I was going to push back on, because I knew we were going to talk about money buying happiness, is I would always say, well, what it can do, right, 
is it can mean you don't have to worry about money. That's the only guarantee, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That it means that you can take one worry and put it somewhere else. Um, Ground rules. It could be none of it goes on drugs, and it could be those who like. Well, um, you tell me. You just won the lottery, Kenny. Were you the fucking boss of drugs? See, immediately it comes down to stuff like that. And it could be okay. So we will have X number, um, X amount in so and so's account every month to take care of that person. So it's managed. Mm. You know, it's just it's like trust funds. It's like manage it so yeah. it lasts, so it works with people, so it supports people. And um, people do this all the time. How to manage the money? How to grow a certain amount? How to have enough? How not to steal a person's passion and power? And I would say those without Mm. very often have purpose. And the purpose could be I need to feed my family and I need to be part of my community. Those who have too much, they've stolen off the purpose of feeding the family. It's like, what do I do? I've got all this wealth. I've got all this time. I've got all, what am I going to do with myself? What's the point of me? And that's tragic. Um, The other night, right, I mean, this week we had the issue where uh, uh, Russian missiles strayed into... Well, it seemed initially there was a Russian missile and then they've walked back that idea and it seems that it might have been an accidental Ukrainian uh, anti-aircraft thing. And Anyway, I was kind of keeping up with this on Twitter and um, my wife just wasn't aware of it. And, and this is this is hugely stereotypical to say, but I think it's fair, broadly speaking, is that of the women that I know and throughout my life, women have, have, have a less, a less uh, ongoing relationship with the news cycle than the men I know. So that's just speaking from my experience. It might be different where you are now. Like, not, not that they don't know what's going on, but, uh, but that they feel their lives probably with things in their actual life rather than me sitting there thinking about what's happening in a field in, in Poland. I'd say, I'd say this comes down to um, protecting again, looking for trouble, looking mm. out for the bully in the playground looking out for the 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 jibe that's going to come from somewhere it's like um, an overactive protector boys have needed to survive and that survival instinct of who's going to attack me who's going to humiliate me who's going to nick my lunch money who's going to whatever it is it's just there and i would say this is one of the glorious things about testosterone is it keeps us sharp, it keeps us quick, it keeps us on the ball, and it's looking for trouble. If life is dedicated to looking for trouble and finding trouble and fixing trouble, then we're in the wrong groove, because then it's Mm. recreating what needs to be survived. But if there is a man present inside of us, rather than just a scared boy, then that can be information from the inner protector to the man in the centre, present and connected, here and now, who's able to use that information rather than run on fear and adrenaline. So to just to clarify that, you, you sort of mean that the it's the boy that gets anxious, yeah. right? It's your inner boy that gets anxious. And the man, maybe the man could go, look, realistically, statistically, of the most dystopian negative interpretations that Rolling News are putting on this, the likelihood of most of the worst stuff is remote, right? Say whether it's blackouts, you know. When 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 they use things like reasonable worst case scenarios, you know people often miss out the word worst case, and their brain hears reason reasonable scenario. Yeah. So you've got to trust the grown up man within you. Sorry, I'm immature. I say a phrase like that; it makes me laugh. The grown up man in your soul um, 
to to be able to sift the information I get, I get to, to not it, fixate to hear it and to choose yeah. what to do with it because it's information. It may or may not be true. It may or may not be a warning. So it's like if I'm present and connected here and now, forget about man or whatever. If I'm here and now, rather than spooked by the past or fearing and fantasizing and fixing the future. Here and now, what are what what are my options with this information or with this mm. feeling? And it might be right, I need to breathe and get here because I'm in panic. I need to order a load of pasta and I need to get some, you know, whatever it is to you know, and there are a lot of blokes at the moment. Crossbow. Sorry, just <laughs> came to my mind. Crossbow. And it is that way. You would not imagine mm. how many men I know who have got maybe protection rather than weapons, but loads of rice and nuts and supplies as if we're going into the war and there's going to be fallout. And why not? But is, is it, does a part of them secretly crave that situation? Because I suppose you must go, look, every, every time in my life the news have said, whatever the news have said would, is, is going to, or, or whatever the worst case scenario they've suggested, it's always fallen somewhere in that is that just a part of how they 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 power themselves to keep, you like you say keep yourself on your toes you know just generally yeah. is to be fearing the great the great um chaos i would say good to be prepared and there are some men who will build up and build up and build up this energy that they need a war and they'll go mm. out and get pissed and create a war you know whatever it is to relieve the or they'll go to the gym and work this war energy out of them this is energy. Mm. So it's like, it can be creative energy. It can be destructive energy. What and a present and connected man can choose what to do with the energy. One who's not, it's going to eat him away. He's going to inflict mm. it on someone else. He's going to go on a binge or a wankathon or a picking fights or a God knows what to let this energy go somewhere. So for me, it's like own the energy and choose how to wield it rather than let the energy own you and then funny ways of holding it or leaking it out. I mean, given that you said wankathon and ended with leaking it out, I mean, <laughs> you cannot possibly expect me to not make a joke. And also wankathon, before you said that, I was originally thinking about telethon and those kind of charitable phoning and things like that. I mean, that is one way of making money for charity. Most people think. Uh, Kenny, as you know, I, I am never, I, I will never be fully mature enough to to just. But you, the things that you say, I think that they're so they're so pertinent right now. And I think some blokes, it was only when I knew I was talking to you when you just stop and think: How is this news? How are these fears um, affecting me? Because sometimes you don't you don't connect the dots. And mm. um, you know, if people are interested in furthering this conversation with yourself, what what are the kind of ways they could get in touch with you? Themanwhisperer.co.uk. Uh, for me, mensgroups.co.uk for the groups. Since lockdown, we've had groups on every single day because blokes need to speak things out. Um, mm. Otherwise, they're lacked out. So, yeah, they've been on since lockdown every day. I think it's still by donation or 10 quid a month or something or other. But speak it out. It's like name it rather than shame it or blame it. And it's just sad when people are crippled by shame and step back out of life and blaming it's not going to go anywhere really time to get present and connected and choose how to step in power and empower others and live a good life 
Well, I mean, I say, you know, 10, 10 pounds a month that I know that some people financially, you know, things are tight, but that seems like good value. And having sat in on uh, some of these sessions myself, I think, you know, they're very productive things. So I'd recommend, you know, people, if they're feeling that need to name rather than blame, shame or <laughs> maim. Blame, name rather than maim. <laughs> that would be one for the more extreme groups. But listen, uh, Kenny Marmor... stock Mar- up on pasta. Stock up on the pasta and the Kalashnikovs. Uh, Kenny Marmoretta de Cruz, a.k.a. the Man Whisperer. Thanks so much for coming back on What Most People Think. Okay, uh, thank you so much to Kenny Marmarella de Cruz, aka the Man Whisperer, in this International Men's Week. If you do want to get involved in his men's groups and stuff, honestly, I mean, like, I know some of you, I get feedback with some of you going, well, you talk about all that shit, meditation, fucking counseling again. I, I get it, but there will be some of you that, that might reach out to him and it might just make your life a bit better. That's the point, isn't it? It's not that complicated. Is You could be a bit happier than you currently are. You could. Now, it might be for counselling, it might be for exercise, it might be for a lot of things, but uh, it's worth exploring, isn't it? Um, we have one letter this week. This is from a Patreon. Remember, another thing with Patreon is that uh, I read all your messages. Eventually, within about a week, I, re- I read and respond to pretty much all messages, apart from the ones where you're drunk late at night and uh, sending me dick pics. That hasn't happened yet. Now, please do not send me dick Anyway, Chris Gowan. Chris Gowan, like me, is a fan of lower league football, but he's keeping it even realer. He goes to non-league football. Um, so I think he supports Port Vale. I didn't realise they were out of the league there, up there in the, in the potteries. Potteries is just something you want to say in a West Country accent. Out there in the potteries. But it's not that at all. It's more like the Stoke accent. Robbie Williams up there, Port Vale. Uh, so he had a number of points about his experience. I want to share a few of them. It is funny going to lower league football, and I'd imagine non-league football even more so. Uh he says, I went to get food at 3.30, uh, this is at the Port Vale game, and the pie warmers were full, but the woman selling them said she was saving them for half time so I wasn't allowed to have one. <laughs> That's not, that is so non-league. That feels like a hashtag. That is so non-league. Why couldn't you have one? Annoying woman. Uh, there was another point was his dad was uh, told to act his fucking age for singing Stand Up If You Love The Vale. <laughs> Stand up. Can you imagine that? Stand up if you love the Sit down, you fucking act your age. Going out clubbing. You should be watching Elbow. Um, and another part, I mean, it was like this was like a hilarious 17-point message, but I'm just picking out some of them for you. Uh, this is probably my favourite. Um, this is my favourite, actually. The fans were threatening to boycott because the club offered double loyalty points for a pizza trophy game. <laughs> double loyalty. Like anyone has ever struggled getting a ticket. That is so non-league. Threatening to boycott because they have offered double loyalty points on a pizza trophy game. I don't even know what that means, but that feels very non-league. So, look, do support your local club. If you've been spending years thinking the Premiership is taking the piss out of you, it's so much fun when you drop down the leagues. You, you forget the simple joy, especially at non-league level, of a fat bloke <laughs> on the pit. A fat bloke who's good at football, but he's a fat bloke. And you can see he's got a great touch, but he is a fat bloke. You know what I mean? And he just falls over and everyone cheers. That's non-league. So non-league. Okay, just before we go, a reminder that I will read out. If you give me a five-star review, leave them anywhere you like. But uh, if they're on iTunes, I will see them and I will read them out. This one's from Wama. Wama sounds like a Geordie nickname. 
this week's episode on hypocrisy around media lovies and their stance at the World Cup is absolutely first rate and marks a welcome return to form as Jeff Clipson nerds his way to the mid-twenties with some sparkling observations around the Labour fog on Brexit and quickly dispatches Ed Davey. Yeah, we did mention uh, Ed Davey last week. Ed Davey, first media mentioned this year. Uh, this one was, was got a lot of nice reviews following that solo episode I appreciate it uh, this is from Jimmy772 Jimmy's a bit of a cockney just like Ron Seal this podcast does what it says I now sound like Mickey Flanagan this podcast does what it says on the tin speaks for the maligned and forgotten persons in this wonderful country almost like a chat with your mates down the pub uh, thank you so much Jimmy Jimmy uh, Jimmy your name's Jimmy Young man I just feel have you got a lock up in the East End I reckon you have, Jimmy Young. Just come down and look up. Meet us there. 11am on a Tuesday. I've got some shooters. Uh, this one is from Sally Hill. Uh, having seen Jeff on Backstage with Catherine, I imagine Sally just speaks in a very bright way. I sought out his podcast to hear more from him. I don't agree with everything he says, but it's refreshing to hear his views from outside your own echo chamber, and they're always well explained and thought-provoking. Well worth a listen. Listen, Sally, that has been a true liberal, Sally. Getting outside your echo chamber. Uh, this is from RJ Sparks. RJ Sparks, an old school garage MC. I love Angry Jeff venting about the World Cup, but worried about your blood pressure given the state of the NHS. Keep it up. Uh, Michael, McV- Michael McVeigh, what are you, a fucking action hero? Best episode for ages. Uh, the Tubster, the Tubster, I love it, you've got a nickname that I presume relates to your own body shape, um, it's alright, no it is, it's pretty good, that's a five star review from the Tubster, I'd love to be in a relationship with you, <laughs> how's the sex darling, yeah, it's fine, yeah, it's better than not having sex, um, confused writer, okay, I think that those are the reviews, so that's a lot of reviews for last week's episode, if you like this week's episode, if you want more people, if you, join the Patreon if you want more episodes, if you, and more listeners would be great. Uh, we're at a good point. It's grown a lot this year. But just just recommend it. It is a bit different from the other podcasts. I do <laughs> jump around. I have solo episodes. I have guests. But the fact that you, you stay with me despite that, I do appreciate it because it goes against all the fucking logic of podcasting. The logic is supposed to be, you know, you keep it light. You don't avoid the contentious issues. You keep it sort of on the liberal left. Uh, you have a format that's the same every fucking week. And this podcast is none of those things. And you still listen. Thank you so much. I'll speak to you next week. Oh,